Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I've got like an insane like work ethic, so I'm like, I have to be there got to finish it got to finish it but it's not really working it's sort of like having that obsession isn't helping the project and if i take yeah. a couple of hours off and i read a book and i go for a walk and i come back i'll finish it in 15 minutes hello and welcome back to another episode of balancing acts in this conversation i talk to writer director producer and performer hayden prouse Hi, this is Steve Whiteley, comedian, actor, filmmaker and writer, all-round ADHD creative. And welcome to my new podcast, Balancing Acts, where I talk to an array of creatives ranging from comedians, actors, directors, all sorts. And we talk about how they find a sense of balance or not between their creative lives and their everyday lives and how that has an impact on their mental health and beyond. Balancing Acts is made in association with the Comedy Crowd who support independent comedy creators. They showcase the best new videos on ComedyCrowdTV.com and across media platforms. They support independent comedy creators and showcase the best new videos including adult animation, sketch shows, web series, viral hits and lots more. So if you're a creator, then do check them out. Hayden kicked off his career working for online magazine Don't Panic, where he created and starred in numerous satirical viral videos. He's also directed documentaries for the likes of Vice and The Guardian, as well as presenting documentaries for BBC and Channel 4. And he, of course, co-created, wrote and starred in BBC 3's The Revolution Will Be Televised, which won a BAFTA, a Rose Door and a Broadcast Award over three seasons. Hayden's other credits include Democracy Dealers on BBC 3, Revolting on BBC 2, The Ministry of Justice on Channel 4, a three-part satirical comedy series, which he starred alongside his partner in crime, Jolyon Rubenstein. Hayden also hosted and wrote the BBC Two documentary, The Town That Took on the Taxman, and also presented The Most Dangerous Town on the Internet, which won two Can Lion Golds. So he has done a lot, and I'm, I'm missing out loads of other stuff as well. But um, yeah, needless to say, it was great to sit down and talk with him about his whole journey starting off creating online content and then moving into TV. We cover loads and loads of ground. Hayden breaks down how he got into making hidden camera political stunts on YouTube with Don't Panic. He describes what it was like outing MPs who consequently lost their jobs as a result of his stunts and the anxiety that came with dealing with the aftermath. Hayden describes what it was like being behind these illegal stunts that could have imprisoned him and the adrenaline rush that comes with that and then dealing with the crash 
after filming these stunts and scenes. He explains why he thinks it was unwise to lose skills in producing and directing as he became more and more front of camera talent. We talk about suffering from imposter syndrome, the idea of being an introverted performer, how social media has been a level playing field in comedy, but also with that comes the curse of democratizing content, which means that uh, people on TikTok are getting way more views than uh, people that are saving away making films or scripts, etc. But uh, hey ho, that that's the way of the world right now. I'm I'm actually yeah, I'm actually you know learning some dance moves at the moment. I think um you know I might I might go for sort of um you know the Israeli dancing. Yeah, I'm gonna go for like a hip hop version of Israeli dancing, and I think it's gonna I think it's gonna blow up. I'm not I'm not. I should. Hayden breaks down the struggles of pitching to commissioners and how and he explains how the revolution will be televised got made, why he's decided to focus on creating mainstream entertainment content, and he describes the challenge of making a good living working in TV. We talk about the Spotify series he's created, Sex Lies and DM Slides and how that came about, and Hayden explains some of the terminology that is used in the uh, the modern dating scene such as breadcrumbing. I'd never heard of it before. I'm clearly spending my days hiding under a rock. Hayden talks about why it's not necessary necessarily to have an agent anymore and the strength of being part of a network and the opportunities that arise as a result, i.e. sort of a network of fellow performers and that type of thing, and how success and awards breed more work opportunities. He describes how a Made in Chelsea star nicked his BAFTA. He explains why he wears so many creative hats. We talk about the idea of constructive procrastination, how to deal with script notes from execs, there is loads, there is loads and loads and loads here. I think you're going to love this conversation. So if you are a writer, director, performer, aspiring satirical comedian or producer, then this is for you because Hayden has done it all, as you'll hear more about in this conversation. So uh, I mentioned in the previous episode that I started Thai boxing. Well, uh, I had my first sparring sessions this week and uh, got absolutely battered. I have purple and blue legs right now i've got to say i've really loved it just gives me a proper adrenaline rush that kick-starting your day you know beating the fuck out of someone or them being the fuck out of you more likely is a game changer for me so uh if you do see me with uh, a black eye anytime soon then you'll know why remember if you like this episode please do subscribe if you haven't done already um rate and review it on apple all the good stuff so without further ado over to hayden Did you have like an intention in mind when you started off making your making videos and doing sort of hidden, these hidden camera pranks and stunts? Did you have an end goal of, of what you wanted to achieve or was it sort of? No, no, not at all. And it kept changing as well. I had, in fact, that was a big thing for me in terms of, you know, if we're talking about creativity and careers and stuff, I, I remember before I started doing those videos, I was in a real period of, kind of depression I was feeling really shit about myself I had no confidence it was this feeling a lot of people get I think in their late 20s where they uh still can be whenever but where they start to suspect somewhere in their mind that all of the things that they dreamed of might not actually come true in the way that they thought they would and I was convinced I was going to be like a novelist and just wasn't able to write a good novel <laughs> and I, I wrote something I sent it to a friend who was an agent, she sort of was like, um, it was just so fucking indulgent and ridiculous. And then I, I, I sort of ended, stumbled into, I remember I did like a journalism sort of course, like a, you know, a couple of month type thing and then came out of it 
and then stumbled into this job at Don't Panic where I was just luckily able to just make any of the, any video I wanted and create any content that I wanted um, with Joe, who was my sort of boss at the time at Don't Panic. And we just ended up getting on really well and having the same kind of humour and interests in, in politics. And then, um, you know, it coincided with the whole YouTube, Facebook thing that was just kicking off in like 2006, six, seven, And suddenly, yeah, found myself doing something that I enjoyed and, and seemed to be quite good at. But yeah, I had no sort of game plan whatsoever at all and didn't realise that that was something that I even wanted to do, make films. So you just stumbled across it yeah. and it just sort of spiralled from there. Basically, yeah. And the things that you were doing were pretty ballsy and um, received a lot of media attention. Yeah. How, how was that? How did that make you feel? Getting uh, a spotlight on you. Yeah. It was, it, it was, a, weird, it was a weird feeling because it, uh, I think it's like, it made me slightly mad, actually. Um, because it was... I was writing about this the other day because it was at the very beginning of all this internet madness, right, where public shaming wasn't a thing to the same degree. Yeah. And I was going in and like secretly recording MPs in Parliament and getting them fired. And, you know, everyone on the on the internet would be like, you're a hero. Well done. That's amazing. You got this guy fired. And I'd be like, yeah, he was a Tory. Fuck him. Yeah, right. And then, and I'd feel really good about myself. And like people would say what you just said. They'd message me being like, you've got such big balls. I'd be like, yeah, I've got such big balls. And then, <laughs> but then something, I think there was, I think, I had I had this moment, and I think I became quite, kind of obsessed with doing it, and like right. bought I bought the idea. I was okay. like I sold into my own sort of idea, where I was like this brave hero, like sort of fighting the good fight against the man. And then I did one where I got a guy fired who worked. Uh, he was a sort of mid-level sort of government advisor, and he'd done something quite shitty, but it wasn't him. It was like it was the department that was a problem. And I sold the story to the Telegraph and the Telegraph were like, and I was like, can we not put his name in it? Because it's not about him. It's about the department. And they were like, what kind of fuck? What, you know, what are you? Was what this the of- one where you recorded the conversation at the House of Commons? Is that- this is another one. No, right, I'd already okay. got the MP fired and there right. was backlash to that. And people, okay. and I, in, something in me was, there was something I felt wasn't right. Like people would criticize me for it being like, who the fuck are you to get, go and get this guy fired? And, you know, I, I believed in the politics of why I'd done it, but something was like, I felt, I didn't think I knew what it was, but I felt something was a bit wrong with what was going on, to be honest. And when I did this other thing, and then the Telegraph were like, we've got a name in, well, you're not a real journalist. And I was like, okay. And they named him and he lost his job and probably, I don't know, struggled to pay his mortgage or his rent or whatever. He, I'm sure had kids. Like, like you, you don't think about those things I, at that time, right? But that's that's what made me think about right. that stuff, okay. and partly why I went into comedy. And I just think it's it's interesting now to see so many people because this was like you know two thousand nine, ten, when all of this stuff was becoming a thing, right? You know, the internet, anyone could be a journalist, and um, it was it's interesting to see that like on steroids now. Everyone's just fucking trying to. You know, denounce each other and cancel each other and shout at each other and scream at each other left, right, and centre. Do you think that if you had started doing those stunts now and started mm. your career now in these times, 
you would have had the same sort of path? Or do you mm. think because of council culture, etc., you would have just been kicked out early doors or no, just I think had parlons, etc.? I think we probably would have done, it would have been bigger. Really? Okay. Because we were, I was all about cancelling people. Like, right, yeah. I'd go okay. and I, I'd go to an MP's house who fiddled their expenses and I'd like, do criminal damage in his garden. Like, I'd dig up his garden. And like people would be like, yeah, and I'd be like, yeah, and, and then people love that shit now. People will yeah. go crazy for that, but I just don't want to do that anymore because it's gross. I think what's happening. I think it's it's not helping, yeah, and it's 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 kind of obscene in a way. I feel like you've always been very good at just sort of stating, getting your opinions out there, and I feel like in comedy at the moment it's like it's such a precipice yeah. at the moment to mm. try and even i mean i've seen so many times i've just written a tweet or something like, oh i don't know a bit controversial and then God. just and just deleted it totally and you have that anxiety you do the, you do the tweet fucking and you so sit much, there yeah. for like 20 minutes you've got work to do but you've just got this anxiety in your stomach like did i say something bad is that yeah am i a bad person <laughs> It's crazy. Did, did you have elements of that anxiety at the time when you released those videos? Yeah. In terms of what the feedback would be and then the, the yeah. com- in the comments and so forth. Yeah, I really did. Like, uh, I remember going on news. And I remember doing it. I remember when I got the, the Tory MP fired and then someone from the Guardian called me up and saying, do you feel bad about what you've done? And I said, oh, God, yeah, I do a bit. And that was the headline. And then I remember some PR person saying to me, what are you doing? You've got to, like, own what you've done and be really, like, confident about it. And then we're on Newsnight and some guy, Ian Dale, who's a Tory um, blogger, now sort of like pundit, was like, oh, you should, your parents should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, and I had that weird feeling, but you had to, I was sort of running into it because I kind of knew that, and that is the, that's how you do it now, right? It's like you've got your audience, you only speak to your audience, you, you know if you do a tweet, it's got to speak only to that audience and that's how you get the most retweets. If you're disgusted at Boris Johnson or you're outraged about Brexit or whatever, you know, even if you've done a similar tweet for the last fucking three years, you know that's the tweet that's going to get the most retweets. You know that's what's going to get the most traction. Right. I don't know. You can't... There's no room for... There's no room for self-reflection or nuances there. I don't know. That's not... So, so will you say that when you, when you tweet, do you think you take on a heightened version of your persona? I, I actively try to tweet shit that, like... I think people who follow me might disagree with. Right. Because I feel like, what's the point? Yeah. If we're all just in our... Do you enjoy that conflict that comes with that, or debate, if you can call it debate? I don't know. How do you feel? Do you, do you, not, do you not feel like... I'm, I'm not in the same... You're not in I'm the not same, the same political... Yeah. I'm not in the same world as you. Like, I, mm. I take my hat off to you because I don't mm. think I could do it. Yeah, I don't... Yeah. I, I, don't I, I can I've, either, to be honest. <laughs> but... Does it still affect you sort of like mentally or, and emotionally to this day? Or are you sort of so used to it and it's just part and parcel of what you do that you just sort of get on with it? I, I know, I feel it really affects me. But what when you say you you get nervous to tweet things, what are the things that you're nervous to tweet about? <laughs> That's just stupid things. <laughs> Yesterday, I thought I'd do like a funny joke about, oh, we should feel sorry for all... Uh, you know, who's who's thinking about all the males at this time? Yeah. With Matt, with man flu, COVID has made us a marginalised voice. <laughs> yeah. And then I yeah, decided to, yeah. yeah, I decided to delete it. Man flu, yeah. Stupid. No one cares about man flu. No, yeah, no one cares about yeah. man flu. Yeah. But I overthought it and yeah. then I deleted it. No, but that's exact. so it isn't so different. That's exactly the sort of thing I get nervous about. Right. Because generally I don't, I mean, there are some people that just tweet, 
they 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 think it's their responsibility to sort of just retweet the Guardian. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. I can go to the Guardian, mate. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I tend to do try to do you know, in, like, I don't know, make a make a joke or something. Yeah, but yeah. I and I get nervous about exactly those types of things. So, and um, we're fast forwarding a little bit then. So, what was it like then? Did, was it that sort of anxiety on steroids once mm. the revolution will be televised came out? Because you then go from being online, sort of. Well, no, actually, revolution will be televised was on BBC, yeah. and we had we were lawyered up, and uh, there was no comeback ever. We were totally insulated. Like doing it online on your own yeah. is scary because you know I almost got sued a number of times. Right. I you know yeah. could have, I could have gone to prison. Some I did stuff that was like you know like I went. Filming in the Houses of Parliament in the way that I did it is not legal. <laughs> and uh, a lawyer said to me, don't release that because that would be it for you. And I did it anyway. And it was scary. And I did like really scary stuff and I had no backup. Whereas in the BBC, you're completely in- insulated. You don't, um, everything goes through a million sort of editorial policy people and lawyers. By the time it comes out, you're like, you're fine. The, the worst controversy we had was when we did... Um, Real Housewives of ISIS. Oh yeah, in our revolting. Wasn't that the most series. viral clip from the series? Yeah, it was yeah. like one of the most viral clips the BBC ever put out because it was just at that time in like 2016 where like you know identity politics was going crazy and yeah. the, this sort of Brexit faction or the Trump factions and everyone was kind of hating each other and then we put out this thing and it was everyone was like it's racist and it's not racist it is racist it's not and then and then. Yeah, and then you got messages from friends that that you went to uni with, being like, "I thought I knew who you were." Wow, really? How, how could you put that out? It's so racist. And how did you respond to them, or did you respond? I did. Weirdly, I didn't care in the same way that I would care if I did a tweet because it had been through so many people. We'd all discussed it so heavily with people at editorial policy, with lawyers, with the production crew, and I was confident in what the the sketch was and didn't feel like it was racist at all I think okay. it was taking the piss out of specifically people that join Islamic State and I think it's fine to take the piss out of people that join Islamic yeah. State if yeah. you're in a world where you can't take the piss out of people that join Islamic State it's bad so yeah. I was cool with it but but it's it's different if you don't have that sort of institution behind you yeah yeah and you're not lawyered up and then when you got the show commissioned was that a moment of joy? Was that, mm. okay, great, I've done this, this and this, and now I'm, I'm at this point. And going, I guess it goes back to that earlier question of, was that, always, was that always like part of the vision? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of wasn't. No, I was just sort of stumbling into it because I ended up, you know, I wanted to, when I was making films for Don't Panic, I was directing and producing films. And, you know, then when I did the show, I was, you know, writing and performing. Um so the writing I was still doing, which was great, but I never really wanted to be like, I didn't, I kind of really wanted to direct and write more than I wanted to write and perform. But right. I ended up being on screen for like eight, nine years and then lost, I lost a bunch of experience and skills in the sort of producing and directing side of TV and film, which was a bit unwise, I think, from from a career perspective, because on-screen stuff just doesn't last forever. Unless, right. I mean, there's a handful of people for whom it does, but most people, you know, have on-screen careers and then don't or right. yeah. do to a lesser degree. And, um, yeah, most of what I do now is is writing and directing and producing, but there is a period, there's a bit of a 
gap in my CV from that perspective, right? Because yeah. I was performing. Right. So that during that period of time, you weren't doing any writing, directing, which is so I was writing, but not, not really direct. I was doing some directing, yeah, but not, not, not enough. So yeah, I kind of stumbled into that as well. But then I guess, yeah, I don't know. Does anyone in me in like TV and media have a plan, a proper plan? Like know, you do man. if you're a doctor or a lawyer, I don't know. Yeah, it's such a weird, obscure career, isn't it? I always feel like, yeah, I feel like, yeah, like you, like I just stumbled into what I'm doing mm. and uh, like feel like some kind of outsider mm. and always have imposter syndrome. Mm. Never, yeah. Ne- never, re- does that, is, is that something you suffer from? Yeah. Yeah, all the time. Do you feel like you have imposter syndrome when you're on stage doing stand-up? Um, you at the beginning when I died all the time. Yeah. And it, you know what? It's more the bits sometimes after or before. Yeah. Yes. It, it's sort of I like the, the socializing with other comedians because yeah. I'm not really... And I, this actually was a takeaway from when I used, to, I used to do improv before stand-up. I never really liked being on Mm. after I wanted yeah. to just have a normal chat with people yeah and people were just like you yeah. know cracking jokes totally. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I found that very uncomfortable do you get the feeling after you come off stage or after you film a scene or something do you get like a dip the crash yeah, yeah. sure Afterwards. yeah right did you suffer from that during the, the filming of the show and also during sort of your, your hidden camera shows the hidden camera Const- shows before? constantly it was, I was quite unhealthy actually that entire period of my life because right. not only were we doing um, sketches and, and scenes but we were doing like highly like adrenalized scenes like sneaking into Tony Blair's house or fucking you know getting to David Cameron or Bill yeah. Clinton and uh, like dodging through se- literally like evading secret service in a hotel in yeah. somewhere in fucking Detroit to get to Bill Clinton and then cracking some jokes to Bill Clinton being like you know making some innuendos about fucking you know yeah. spunking and blowjobs in front of the secret <laughs> service to his face um <laughs> You know, literally saying, do you get my jeers, Bill? Do you get my jeers? To his face. And then having the security, like, highly, highly adrenalized. And then you'd have these huge peaks. And then you'd crash straight away. But you'd... Um, I think some people crash more than others. I think some people are much... More, extroverts are, like, better with that sort of stuff, I mm. think. So what would you say that you are naturally an introvert who has fallen into the performing side of things? I think so, yeah. Right. There, there are lots of performers that are introverts. Yeah. And I think like in comedy, you know, like for instance, there's uh, there. Uh, I was watching this great, I don't know if you've seen it, Mo Gilligan's doc on... Uh, I've been meaning to. It's just come out. Black, British and funny. Yeah. It's really good and actually quite shocking. What, you know, sort of just the history of how few black hosted shows there have been. Matt, I, I did a gig... Um, not to go on a tangent, but I did a gig. I never forget this. I used to present on a radio show back mm. in the day in Halsden, and there was a guy there called Jeff Schumann, who was mm. a legendary comedian on the Black Circuit. Mm. And um, he used to talk to me about his gigs. And this was before I got into comedy. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd never really sort of seen perform, but I did a gig with him in Tottenham mm. about two years ago. Yeah. Killed. Yeah. I mean, destroyed. Yeah. And I'm just thinking. How is this guy not Have you massive? not fucking on primetime BBC? It's channel? crazy. No, I see that all the time. I see that it's all the time. It's a travesty. Yeah, it really is. But it's so, it isn't just about colour. Like that happens to so many people of, or sex or True. anything like that. People are, people are kind of obsessed with this, these sorts of things now, I think. But it does happen to everyone. Of course, it's messed up that his show with Big Nasty is the first black-only hosted chat show in 20 years Crazy. since uh, Blackwood Richard Blackwood did his 
Can you believe that? Yeah. And the one before that was uh, was um, Red Nose Day. Oh, Lenny Henry. Lenny, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the one, the one before that was Lenny Henry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like twenty years apart. Each each was twenty years apart, and they haven't been. And and they talk about how there were times when, uh, in fact, um, KG and Mastered, who I, I've worked with for years, they were worked on a bunch of shows. I got them in to work on a bunch of shows. KG, yeah, yeah he's, funny. he's amazing. He's yeah. funny. So I, I fuck. I, I when I saw Guns and Pork and the one where, where he was on the roller skates, the roller skates one just yeah. cracked me up with the, with the dog as with well. The dog, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant, brilliant. And um, yeah, I got as soon as I saw that, I got him in to Don't Panic, where I was doing all, all my films from. Yeah, and we we started making sketches together. What did we do? We did a few really funny ones. But now he's now he's doing really well. He's fucking killing it. Yeah, finally because he deserved that. He did that amazing thing on at the Brits. Where he or the Mobos, where they, they, pr- they like prank Leisha Dixon. I didn't see that. And they and they had these like fake R and B characters, and they started to like hit on her live in front of the audience. It was huge. Yeah. And then he was saying how he got the bus home after that night, and they were on this high. They were like superstars, and then when they were on the one four nine on the way home, wow. like you know. And it's and, it, and it's taken him. That's been another ten years since he did that, and he's only just starting to get. Get the get the recognition. He should have had a TV show like five six years ago. Yeah, Mo Gilligan. If he hadn't of obviously started doing videos on Instagram, and then yeah. probably been, wouldn't be where he is because yeah. he, he was doing live for about eight years or so yeah. prior to start doing that. Right. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, the so- social media social media is amazing in that way. It's a level because the yeah, these fucking commissioners that for so long have decided what the demographics are and how many black people are allowed to host a show or what humor is and people aren't ready for that type of humor and that script is too avant-garde and too weird like people aren't going to get it finally we're able to bypass them because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about have you found that uh have you have you had challenging experiences when pitching because you must have had so many ideas that you've pitched we had it's it's we were so lucky with i was so lucky because i went into don't panic and I had Joe Wade, who, was, who owned Don't Panic, and right. he, it was a sort of media company that wanted to move into content. And Joe was like, make anything you want. And we happened to have the same humor, and we just made some weird ass fucking crazy shit. Yeah. And it became popular. Luckily, stumbled into BBC Three, where Zai Bennett was the commissioner, who was like, and Sean Hancock, and they were like, love it, we'll back you to the, to, to the end, do whatever you want, we'll fucking back it. We'll, we'll argue to the bosses at BBC that you need they need to do this stuff and be brave. So did you did you have to was there like no we pitch was it did did you have to do like a pitch documentary thing? Yeah, we did a we did a pilot. Okay, I think we did a pilot for Channel Four. That, this is the thing we did a pilot for Channel Four. They didn't want it. Do you film the pilot? Yeah, and wow. took it to BBC and we found our commissioner at BBC that got it and he right. commissioned it. Right. This is the way the TV still works and it's it's fucking it's archaic. archaic. Isn't it? Yeah, and. Now you just film it, you know, people like um people like Munya Chihuahua, I don't know if you know him or brilliant. He's I mean brilliant. he's just so surreal and yeah. like it's so popular. Yeah. And if he'd have come if he'd have gone into Channel Four like ten years ago and pitched that, they'd have been like, People won't get that. Yeah. It's too people don't know about politics. People don't get it. And and like it's so cerebral and it's so smart. Yeah. And it's and it's great and people get it. Yeah. Because people aren't stupid. Yeah, and, and now he's in a position where he doesn't need to go. Doesn't he can call the shots? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Starting to. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's um, yeah. It's a, I was talking to actually someone the other day. They're like this like serial startup entrepreneur. Mm. He's like, well, how can how can we how can we disrupt the uh, the, the commissioning process? What can be done? <laughs> Could we get a bot who sort of decides for them? Sort of. I don't think it works like that. That's the thing. 
it's done it's yeah it's been done it's, it's been done yeah. by social media yeah the, the 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 downside to it is that you get some you get tiktok that's the downside because <laughs> then you get that like, all right fine minutes i has got what like three hundred and fifty thousand followers but there are people who have got 10 million followers that just do dance videos on tiktok it's so crazy, isn't it? it is the sort of curse of democracy right where like if you democratize content there are enough idiots out there to make that shit popular. Yeah, I mean, it was started off on YouTube with uh, vlogs. Right. It's yeah. Like makeup tutorials. Makeup tutorials. Yeah. Just within the wrong demographic, man. I wish I was born 50 yeah. years later, you know? Yeah. I missed out. I wish I was, it's true. I wish I was a, f- yeah. What do I wish I was? I wish I was a fit female makeup blogger who's <laughs> 25 yeah i mean look i'm sure it's a lot i'm sure it's like a lot of hard work and fair play to actually you know just the idea of like consistently releasing content that in itself yeah. i've never personally been able to do like fair play that is the that. key i think yeah you can that is that is so important Minya is not a good example because he releases a lot of content and it's all really high quality a lot of people release like really low quality content but it's incessant yeah and then they get loads of fans it's just like they're sort of it's the quantity, isn't it? Yeah. It's quantity, not do you quality. think if you started over now, that's what you would? I'm not saying. And vlogging, do you think you would sort of like I don't know, do characters or? Don't know. I don't know. I've I've taken a. My new thing is to try and make loads of money. Right. Yeah. I don't really care about being creative. <laughs> Get to <laughs> no, that. I'm joking. I do. I do. I've I've gone on a small segue. You know, Steve. I've become a VC. <laughs> I have. I've gone on a small segue where I've um, been trying to create just like really populist mainstream like entertainment content. And yeah. I want to, you know, I'm selling it to like Spotify and, and like just trying to make money because okay. I'm sick of. All right. So, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm sick of making political satire. But you've done well out of it. No. What do you Where's mean? Where's all my money? Okay. Hold on. <laughs> so you've done, you've had. You've done uh, Revolution Be Televised. We had some... Revolting. Yeah. Yeah. You And then you had the, was the US. The US series. The US series. Yeah, we had we had democracy. We had loads of shows on BBC and Channel 4. We did um, Ministry of Justice on Channel 4. Yeah, I mean, we had shows on TV. That loads. Pay. That where's all my money? I don't understand. I don't have any... Where's all my money? But you're, the, you're like the co-creator of that show, aren't you? Yeah, but like you can't... Shows shows that are about British politics, where are you going to sell those shows to? Ah, yeah. If, if I wrote yeah. um, The Office... Yeah, and it was optioned by every single country in the world and remade. I'm yeah. a multi-millionaire, like because you're always, if I wrote a show about David Cameron and Nick Clegg, yeah, and taking the piss out of Tony Blair, who's, who's going to buy that? Right. right, okay, so you're going broad now. I'm going broad. Yeah, you're going broad. Sex. That's my sex thing. lies yeah. and DM slides. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're, I mean, jumping ahead, but we're on that subject now. So talk to me about that. how did that come about because you're not you're not presenting that. No. So are you the creator and producer of that? Yeah, so I'm the, series? Yeah, so I'm the creator and producer of that. Okay. The um how did that come about? Uh well, I'm a co-creator with Sydney Lima who is uh one of the hosts and she um we uh yeah. Uh she oh, she got DM'd. She's uh quite hot and she got DM'd by a guy who uh wanted to have sex with her right. for money and then she wrote a sort of open letter to Vogue about it like fuck you dude I'm not a prostitute just because I'm hot and I'm on Instagram and then there was another guy who uh, who sort of she had all these funny stories like a guy who was wanted to be her financial slave where he just gave her money um, and he didn't want anything back it was just a turn on for him that he was financially disrespected he was like a masochist <laughs> wow. so and lots of people have these stories now right like social media and sex it's like made everything super weird so weird everything's it? weird now. yeah and relationships have changed fundamentally everyone's ghosting online. ghosting yeah 
and, and breadcrumbing. Do you know that one? No, what's breadcrumbing? Breadcrumbing's where you, um, uh, I think it's where you start, oh yeah, it's when you lead someone on. Okay. On, uh, yeah, it's where you lead someone on on social media. So like, it's like, you know, maybe you kind of want that person to be around for when your relationship ends. Oh, you're teeing be, it up. You're teeing it up right. or, you know, you just want them to fancy you. So yeah. you kind of do some likes and make a few comments and some DMs. Okay. And then you keep that person there. You're sort of putting the breadcrumbs down. Right. Yeah. And then there's haunting. Okay. That's where <laughs> your ex-girlfriend or boyfriend is always the first one to look at your Instagram story. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> you know about that. <laughs> do it all the time. <laughs> So, like, there's all this weird shit etiquette. And then we talk about that. We've okay. We've got, like, Lily Allen on and um, Rose McGowan. And everyone opens up their inbox and they talk about weird messages. Right. But going back to what you say, like, mm. you know, not earning loads of money from your former projects, I guess one of the advantages is of now being in a position where you've got a track record. Mm. Opportunities like this to pitch your ideas to the likes of Spotify must be a lot easier. As in, like, you know, there's not as many. There's gatekeepers, but you have mm. access to them. Yeah, some, yeah. To get the access to gatekeepers thing, it's interesting. How do you navigate that? My, I think the whole, that whole world is changing because when I started out, you still had, had to have an agent. I mean, even when I started out, that era was coming to an end, right? Having an agent. Right. And, you know, I was, you, and I think it's still a great thing to do, but I don't know if that model is going to be around for that long because okay. if you're, if you can get to, a commissioner mm-hmm. or a producer that's got a great relationship with the commissioner and you're in that scene you're in that world how much your what's the function of your agent really the function of an agent i guess is to sort of negotiate your contracts mm-hmm. but if you understand con- like i now feel like i understand contract law quite well because i've been doing things kind of myself for about a year right but um so what you don't currently have an agent now i think i still do don't really talk to her. Right, okay. She doesn't respond to my emails. But it's not. It's not her fault. It's like what she. You've gonna... gone too broad, Hayden. <laughs> no. You're trying to make too much money. We're not it's, interested. It's got so much money now. We like you when you're niche. Yeah, um, but you can get a lawyer. Like a lawyer is a good person to have. There are plenty yeah. of lawyers now that are like managers slash lawyers. Sure, that's great because then you've got someone that's really going to be hard nosed on the negotiation because they know what they know how to fucking negotiate. Yeah, because they've yeah, studied. Yeah. You know. They study contract law and they know exactly how you can get the best deal possible for your show. Yeah. And you can concentrate on just being the social networker, be, being in that scene. I think almost every single person of, of sort of note, every single uh, like prolific person in the, in the arts, film, you know, art, uh, music, whatever, is almost have, have always, almost always been people that are in that network, you mm-hmm. know? They all know all the other people in those networks. They, when you say close. networks, do you mean fellow performers? Yeah, fellow performers, right. fellow in, writers, producers. You think that's where a lot of opportunities come from? I think so, yeah. I'm not particularly good at it, but um, I'm better at it than some people. I know other people that are much better at it than me, but like I, it's, it's not, that's not even a theory. That's been, there are, there are, um, there's, there, 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 there are sciences of networks. Like people like, who's he called? Niall Ferguson, the historian, wrote a lot about this. And actually, um, actually, um, uh, Henry Kissinger wrote, writes a lot about this. You know, the war criminal. Yeah, there's there are there are uh, you know there there are whole fields of studies about how networks work now, okay. and you can literally predict someone's ability to be successful 
based on the number of nodes in their network. So a node, a node is like another person. Okay. Right? So how many people in your network? And your, your sort of potential to become successful is directly related to the number of nodes in your network. They've, you know, there are studies around this. They have, so for instance, traditional working class communities, right? Don't have much sort of possibility of social mobility, right? Particularly perhaps earlier last century, right? Yeah. You know, you're sort of a working class community, perhaps, you know, you're, you, you know, you've got a very small number of nodes. For instance, you live in a sort of very family orientated community. A lot of people, I'm going back 50, 60 years here. A lot of people work in the factories, whatever. And then you mm-hmm. come home, your, your, your community is your local family, your cousins, people that live in your area. Quite profound connections, but not a, a widely dis- dis- dispersed number of connections, sure. right? People now that know thousands of people not particularly well, okay? So they probably don't hang out with most of their cousins and family anymore. Their, their connections are, are, are large in number, but sort of quite superficial bread breadcrumbing everywhere yeah, breadcrumbing professional breadcrumbing yeah you yeah. literally have to yeah. do that like you know everyone a little bit yeah and it's probably quite a sad way to live but it's it's so it is, it's yeah. it is known to be the way to become successful because you right. are it's you know you spread your notes mm. you've got those connections <laughs> yeah. you know who you can call up the yeah. producer at the production company or the you know the commissioner. You know you know how to get to those people. You met them once at a party. Yeah. You can't call them when you're depressed and you know on your own, lying, you know, yeah, yeah. crying in your bed. But yeah. that's you want more of those connections. Well, you have to. When's <laughs> um, coming round? I'm the commissioner of the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you, it's yeah. It's funny you say that. It's taken me a take me taking me a long time mm. to. I think it was a gulp. I said long, long. It's taken me a long time to work that out. When I set up my production company and I was originally doing um, branded content, I think mm. you were doing. Yeah. yeah, that was sort of your parallel as well, wasn't yeah. it? Um, I used to just like cold email ad agencies and right. like constantly. Hey, Mr. Steve, yeah. that's good then. Is it? Is it like I mean? I think I feel that's like, what I'm talking about. I, I would have thought it's more of a case of um, knowing someone who knows someone. Can you yes. set up a coffee with me? With You're that probably person? right. You're right. It's, it's a slightly more intelligent right. way, whereas yeah. mine was sort of like banging my head against a brick wall. Yeah, a bit no, more tunnel right. vision. You know? Yeah. yeah, it's true. It's it's the sort of 3D chess thing, isn't it? It's like okay, I'm not going to email the uh, MD of that branding company. I'm going to work out the party that he's going to be at, and then I'm going to try and talk to yeah. him at the party and have a beer with him and then he's going to be my mate. But I, don't, I think maybe the, the the anomaly to that is once you've built up a certain track record, then you can do those emails because yeah. if you include in that True. summary, hey, I'm Steve, I've done X, Y, and Z, yeah, yeah. then you might be taken a bit more seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah I find that as well. I, I'm, fuck, I'm, yeah, I'm quite, the number of times, I mean, I don't know how, how long it will last, but the number of times I find myself in situations where I can like reference the stuff I've done or awards and like suddenly people trust you and you yeah. get the job so like it breeds more work yeah because but then you have to keep keep that up but i think it's but what i think is interesting and what i was under the misapprehension and no one taught me any different my parents school when i when i when i graduated i was under the misapprehension that creativity was enough right and mm-hmm. if i produce something brilliant then that's fine like i just got to produce the most brilliant thing and everyone will recognize it it's such yeah. it's absolutely absolutely nonsense yes it's, yeah. it's uh that's like ten percent, I think. And I think it's that's that's probably um, 
yeah, that formula is even less so now. It's yeah. even less important. Yeah. Obviously, the creating of the thing needs to be done. Mm. But like now, there's so much noise. You, so much noise. You've got to do so much to cut through. So much brilliance is overlooked. You're saying oh, totally. It's like we were saying about the guy. Yeah, on Jeff stage. Yeah. yeah, it's um, it's happened so often. Yeah, and so with that in mind, with don't panic. Did you guys? I mean, it's different times, like from mm. then and now. But did you guys have specific strategies to get to get your videos out there? Yeah, so our strategy was to, uh, you know, we, well, what we were doing is we were, which is what everyone does now, is we were, we were riding the sort of news waves so that something would happen, right? Like, you know, an MP would be caught claiming that their second home was, that, you know, a home was their second home and for expenses purposes, or they'd have, you know, claimed a duck house and fiddled their expenses or right. they'd, you know, or to, like, whatever. They'd be it seems so, like such innocent times. Now, I remember that scandal. that scandal, yeah. <laughs> fuck, that was like the beginning of everything, I feel. Yeah. That was when everyone got disillusioned with politics. What was it, like 2007? Around that, yeah. Um, you know, or the financial crash. Whatever the news story was, we would, like, ride the news story with a viral video. So, like, okay. financial crash, for instance, uh, you, know, well, you know, RBS, when all the stuff about RBS was coming out, we went down outside RBS to collect money for a new charity called GBFMYC. And okay. we got to bankers, RBS bankers, Royal Bank of Scotland bankers, and be like, hi, can you spare some money for GBFMYC? And they'd be like, oh, what's that I stand really for? Like, oh, give us back our fucking money, you cunts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, we just do stupid shit like that. But it was riding the, riding the waves. It was so know, timely. Waves, yeah. yeah. But right. people still do that, I think. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... I, I remember when uh, when I was making sketches on YouTube and my channel got signed to then uh, Maker Studios, who mm, were part of yeah. Disney, they were all about tentpole events. Yeah, so make create exactly. content yeah. around those tentpole events, yeah. uh, whether but broadly speaking, mm. create a video around Valentine's Day, yeah, you know, or something along those. It works. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. It's, you've got to stand out somehow. Yeah. So back to to Revolution be televised. Mm. When you won the BAFTA, mm. so then you know you've got a bit of spotlight on you. Yeah. Would you describe your situation then in terms of your um, how well known you were? Was there an aspect of you entering this new world? Because you've come mm. from this background where, you know, you're quite self-contained mm. and now there's sort of more eyes on you. Mm. Was there pressure with that? And, and how did you find moving into sort of like the entertainment world like yeah. was that suddenly were you going to all these parties getting pissed and all that sort of stuff and yeah <laughs> what, what was sort of a knock-on effect from that yeah for sure i didn't uh i don't think i used those opportunities particularly well at all actually i remember like in fact i remember i was breaking up with my uh, oh no i remember i had an argument with my girlfriend the night at the baftas and i was really upset and uh you know literally like tearful before i went to the baftas and then got really drunk and lost my bafta and <laughs> uh didn't do any networking at all and just felt shit the next day did you find the bath didn't you? i had to buy another one i think someone oh, from shit. made in chelsea nicked it what? well i left it on the side of the dance floor to dance and then came back and it was gone how much did it cost for a new one about 500 quid Jeez. yeah Bloody hell, they pay you 500 quid to make the show and then you've got to spend a straight <laughs> <I know>, yeah. <laughs> but yeah there was there there is that that is a real thing to watch out for i think for sure because once that stuff starts happening and you're like you know you know, BBC going to all the like parties and award events and all that sort of shit. Yeah. It's very easy to forget why it is you're doing all that stuff in the first place and to, you know, get a bit distracted for sure. Right. And, uh, yeah. Was it fun though at the same yeah, time? Yeah, it was great fun. Yeah. 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 
I mean, that's why you get sucked into it. Yeah, you? right. Yeah. <laughs> this is so much fun. Yeah. This is what I got into the game for. Exactly. That's right. the thing, is that why does anyone ever get into the game in the first place? Is so they can go to award events and drink champagne, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And tell a story about how someone from Made in Chelsea nicked your birthday. birthday yeah. yeah, just basically for the anecdotes. Perfect. Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, if you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. OK, back to the chat you do like all these different things and I, I guess from what you're saying you've done them in separate chunks so you had time you know mm. producer director and then host and then also presenting mm. do you enjoy having that variety or do you or you're at a place now where you're like hey, do you know what actually i just want to be this now i just mm. want to be this creator producer person behind the camera mm. or have you always liked this sort of jumping around and trying all these different vehicles I feel like one of the reasons I jump around is because I don't have the confidence in myself to do one thing, which right, I think interesting. is a thing. And I think a lot of people do that, actually. But I actually don't think it's the dumbest thing to do because uh, there are plenty of people that do that and it it gives you something to fall back on. Yeah. In fact, so many people that I know that are doing really well as stand-up, stand-up comedy worked for me as like assistant producers or runners back, oh, really? back in the day. Yeah, loads. Okay. And, um, you know, that's a model for all sorts of different, for in TV and, you know, Vice uses that model a lot. People that are producers end up being hosts or whatever. Um, it's It happens a lot. And yeah. I think it's really good not to even really establish people. As, you know, Stacey Dooley doesn't, Stacey Dooley has been um, busy all of this, even though she's the sort of go-to foreign affairs documentary host for sort of, uh, I guess for a younger viewer in the UK, yeah, she spent all this time, uh, you know, working on her sort of camera skills and editing skills and producing skills and making sure she's got that, yeah, because she's not going to be a host of those things forever. Yeah, it's smart. Yeah, it's like lots of actors who then go on to become producers and yeah. set up their own production companies. Mm. Yeah, longevity. Yeah, right. But I think that there is on the flip. I think that yeah, it is quite. I found myself sometimes, you know, like if I, sometimes what I do creatively is I, um, I'll like do something, you know, I'll, I'll do some producing or do something boring that I know is not really what I need to be doing. So for, I don't know, for instance, is that procrastination? It's, like, it's productive procrastination. So yeah, for instance, yeah. there's a, and sometimes it's worked and sometimes it hasn't like, you know, I remember last year I was writing a lot of scripts on spec because um, script sort of like what kind of is this would, comedy yeah, or yeah, like some okay. comedy scripts that you know, like Baby Cow wanted to buy a script and and this is the danger in TV um, and it's, it's a fucking quagmire. You got to be really careful. I know some really successful writers that spend so much of their time. You know, they've had a lot of stuff on TV and they still spend so much of their time writing stuff on spec for production companies and channels in the vague hope that it gets commissioned. Three months down the line, they finish the script and it doesn't get commissioned. And it's, yeah. it's just so unfair. And I've, you know, I did a lot of that last year. And um, I, it's a really hard thing to know how to do because my, what often what I'll do in those scenarios is I'll put off writing the, the script is what I really want to do, right? 
I yeah. want to write the comedy script. It's my dream script. I've come up with the idea. I love the idea. If I got it commissioned, it would change my life forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but then something else will come up. So I want to be like, oh, Hayden, can you make this uh, small film for this um, this uh, charity that want yeah. to do this? And it's like, oh, the budget's not great, and I'm not going to get that much money out of it. But it's really quite simple and there's not much creativity involved in it and i could just do that really easily yeah so i'll procrastinate on the dream script right and i'll just focus on this shitty little film and it'll take me two weeks to do and i'm just doing budgets and cool sheets and i'm getting it done right and it's kind of like it's constructive procrastination yeah but then i've been fucked over on the dream script so it's hard to know whether where where to put your time and attention but, you know? but isn't that the, the the challenge that comes with being a creative doing what you do you have yeah. to constantly have that that balance between yeah. well one paying the bills yeah and then yeah paying paying the bills and doing the practical stuff yeah but also i find yeah with with the dream job with the dream projects but i found i don't know about you but my experience of doing all the all the producing is mm. like what you're saying before about stacy Dooley. that has massively helped mm. when it comes to my sort of projects that I hold dear to my heart that I'm yeah. more involved in a more creative aspect where mm. I'll be directing you know how to do them, you know to do yeah. them. and if you're not doing you know who the person what that person who is doing it should right. be doing true that's true yeah yeah it's good to have that breadth of experience and in fact that's what frustrates me so much about commissioners is they don't they've never worked in production half the time yeah. so they or they've never written a script and they're giving you notes on it and it's like oh. and, and it's how do you because what I find challenging is navigating notes yeah because it, it, it can be a bit of a head fuck because yeah. you can end up questioning yourself well, maybe they're right maybe you know how do i yeah. how, how do i have like whole conviction in my own yeah. original idea and everything that comes with that and mm. i've got to be a team player i've got to take on board their notes such a hard balance i've got friends that are really bullish and are like no it's like this does that work out for them I don't know because I'm more of the team player kind of guy like I, yeah. I tend to just like try and make it work and like take every every note on board and like and I like to and maybe the grass is always greener but I've seen guys like I've seen people like that it's quite a high risk strategy because you can fuck people off really quickly yeah and then if the commission is not on your side anymore or the, you know then it's then it's bad it's game over and it's like there's abundance of talent so yeah. it's not like they need to work with you again but they do, but pe- like people in those fields respect conviction, like creative yeah. conviction. It's yeah. like if you know, but then on the flip of that, that can be quite uncreative. Like I've often found in writers' rooms, people who have the most conviction in what they want to do are often the least creative because they're not willing to take on board other people's ideas. They're just not willing to sustain other ideas, yeah. and other, other ways of of getting to getting to the. You know, if, like, if you've got like a, you're in a bit of a a, a sort of cul-de-sac with your script, you're trying to work a way out. And if you just want to like drill your way through a, a wall and be like, that's the ending. Yeah. You're generally going to have a shitter ending than if you spent more time working out another route. Part but, of it is like, I know part of it can be sort of like laziness. Yeah. I've, I've come up with this now. Yeah. I, just, I can't be off to yeah. something else. Oh, they get it. They get together and live happily after. Come on. Come on. Yeah. I know we've seen it. We're going to do yeah. it. Diff- we're going to shoot it really nicely. Yeah. yeah. A little bit creatively, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll frame it well. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a shit ending, but we'll frame it nice. Mate, wait to see the grade. Yeah. Wait to see the grade. <laughs> yeah. <Right>. So <laughs> they get together and live happily ever after in the sub. Yeah, but the grade is going to be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Commissioned. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Yeah. It's like the, late, the easy way out to get a jail card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
have you done have you been involved in writers rooms where you are working on someone else's project or is it has been or has it always been writers rooms on your own scripts yeah it's always been on my own scripts actually which is okay I th- yeah i really like to get into a writer's room would you work, yeah and work on yeah. someone else's someone else's thing mm. that'd be such a good gig man and in fact that is um what um someone should pay me to do that no one's paid me to do that i don't know why because i'm a good like team player in a writer's room and i'd love to do that and there are so many i mean this there are so many great writers room in the states man if you get on a show it's crazy like you know ball game now there yeah have you not wanted to do that that whole thing yeah the us thing i'd love to i need to try and work out how to do that have you like attempted to do it in the past a little bit. I'm gonna make. Can I make a note? Yeah, you're going to through. do that. I'm gonna yeah. make a note on my iPhone. Get into a writer's room. <laughs> yeah, that's the shit, man. Because then you like so many people that I know have gone from those writers' rooms to have their have their own shows. Yeah, it's a real like way to like prove yourself. But they don't exist in the same way as they do in the UK. And if they do, they're much smaller, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. And it's a real closed circle. Whereas those writers' rooms in the states, like they just cast their net wide for the yeah. talent and they like and the, and the budgets I mean in terms of like you know what you're getting paid is get completely incomparable if anyone wants to make TV get to the States because I just I mean I've just had a friend uh, who is one of the best um, directors of docs in the country right uh, BAFTA winning um, and has just had a you know show I don't know if I can say this. He had a show commissioned on Channel 4 and then Channel 4 turned around and said, look, we really want to make it, but we just went to see the accountants and there's no money left. Like, they, they want to make his doc right. badly and right. they just don't have the money. Crazy. There's this, this, we're fucked in this country. Yeah. We're fucked. So what, is he taking to the US? No, I mean, oh, right. I, I don't know what he's going to do. He's just got his head up brick wall yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no industry yet. But then you kind of also feel like, well, there's the streamers now and there's like Netflix UK that are picking up stuff. That's nice to happen. It's true. They open the UK office, yeah. Right. And then you can also pitch to Apple and, and Amazon now and all those guys. So there is like a wider net to a certain degree than there was. Yeah, I don't feel like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but um, I don't know the degree to which the sort of UK offices of those of those companies are really how much shit gets sent through back to I mean you're better yeah. better going to the source yeah yeah I think yeah okay um, we've gone very industry but that's Sorry. fine no 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 it's me I've, I've just uh, curiosity because um, it, amaz- it amazes me like you know I look at you we've had you know these, these show all these shows made mm. and this track record you'd think yeah, the the doors are going to be open and all those opportunities are there for you. It's hard. That I'm really, you know, I struggle to get in. I'm I'm now in a situation where like I, I know loads of commissioners and I probably could make better use of my connections. You know, I've got I know commissioners at Netflix, at Channel 4, at BBC. I've got like, pro, I've kind of got insane connections compared yeah. to a lot of people, I sure. guess. Yeah. But I really struggle to get through the door with ideas that are taken seriously and commissioned. You know, I just had a, I've, I've just spent last year writing up a really commissionable NC, it's part of my big money plan, uh, like entertainment format okay. for BBC. Yeah. And got a great um, production company on board and who are like getting loads away. I guess it coincided with the with the lockdown. Right. The BBC wanted to talk about it. Production company were about to option it. Uh, and then it all sort of went quiet. And now BBC are like, yeah, sorry, maybe take it to Channel 4 or ITV. 
Right. So I struggle. I mean, I'm really hard. It's tough. It's really hard. And do you prefer to on on these projects and on your scripts in general? Do you prefer to write on your own, or do you usually co-write and co-create with people? Do you like to collaborate? I like to collaborate. Uh, yeah, I've got some people that I've collaborated with for years that I like to collaborate. With. Okay, I find it's always depends who you are. Yeah, I'm more of a. I like having other. I like you know being able to spitball. Apart from anything else, I find it really hard to sit on my own and write for long periods of time on my own Same. quite like ADD so yeah, having well. someone else there to is really useful I think yeah yeah and just you're going to come up with better ideas with someone else they've got a different yeah. perspective point of view I think so yeah yeah it depends what you do I guess like what what so when you are doing projects on your own and you need to like you know you hit a dead you hit a uh, brick wall mm dead end what you do to conjure up or do you, to get that inspiration or creativity have you got any sort of methods or tricks that you, you... I used to drink wine okay yeah no, but I'm not sure how productive that's been right so now I'm I think uh reading okay it's yeah. like I always find I get in this I don't know if you ever get this but I get in this like oh I get in like a headspace where I'm like obsessed with finishing something that I'm writing and can't work out how to finish it and I'm thinking and I'm and I'm just like and I'll spend like an hour and a half two hours sort of sitting there adding very little to it a couple yeah. of sentences yeah and then you're I find that I can't break away from the computer to do something else because I've got like an insane like work ethic so I'm like, I have to be there I've got to finish it got to finish it but it's not really working it's sort of like having that obsession isn't helping the project and if I take yeah. a couple of hours off and I read a book and I go for a walk and I come back, I'll finish it in 15 minutes. Sure, sure. Do, so do you have a general structure to your day? On days where you're not like, um, you're not on set or you're mm. not doing something specific, how do you structure your days? That's really hard. I'm not very good at that. I, was, I want to ask you about that because you do the whole Buddhism thing. Is yeah. that something that's helped you? Because I, I've, I get really cluttered often. Mm. I find like... I almost need a lot on to be able to do stuff. If I've got too much time on, I can't exactly. finish anything. It's hard. Having too much time, it's like the conversation having before we started, yeah. having too much time is the scariest thing. Yeah. It's like, you're like panicked. Yeah. What do I do now? Yeah. Um, we were saying earlier, we wanted to have kids just, just, just to have more to do. Just to have more to do. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a good yeah. enough reason. It's valid, isn't Not it? Not necessarily with each other, but yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. Um, we, could do, we could do a creative adoption. We could be like, look, a couple of writers, we haven't got enough on. Uh, we want to adopt a small child. Hey, this to, is this is the sitcom. This is yeah. <laughs> this is how we're going to make our money, right? Great. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Great. All right. Yeah. Okay. Fine. If there's any commission, so we have to listening. say we're a gay couple. Yeah. We adopt a, ki- a small kid, um, just t- to take up the, to fill the hours because yeah. we, we find we're more productive when we have more on. Yeah, and then we write a sitcom about us um, being fake gay lovers and and, and we have, have and taking a yeah. taking a kid or <laughs> taking right. a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that sort of makes us our millions. So it's like quite a meta comedy. And then we can't, we have to, we have to sort of, you know, follow through and get married because otherwise our careers will be over. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and then we have a falling out because yeah. uh, series two gets commissioned and basically one of us does a sort of sneaky deal with yeah. a production company and basically the other one gets uh, kicked out. So they don't get any rights on the second series. Yeah. So then we get uh, divorced and... Uh, no, what, no, it's got to be a love interest. One of us has got to go off with a woman and get caught oh, yeah, yeah. by the media it goes and, out, goes and, viral. and gets packed. There's something. a pile on. Yeah. 
as a yeah. pylon. Like you go off with a girl and everyone's like, how could Steve do this to Hayden? They've, he's broken up their marriage. And then, like, and then we fall out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and the kid, the poor kid. Yeah. Kid's all right. He's, he's young. Doesn't we don't anything. care about the kid. No, I don't care. Just, yeah, fucking, yeah. yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, great. I think this is great. It's <laughs> yeah. got a lot of legs. I think it's going to it. Yeah, great. Um, what were you about to say about the... Uh... I was saying that... Um, okay, so yeah, to answer your question, yeah. um, Buddhism, Buddhism yeah. affects me in a way... In terms of positive, mm. I meditate every morning. So that just gives me... Mm. Uh, it. What I find it does, it, it kind of like... Um, it controls the ADHD. Right. I, I'm like, I can notice what I'm like when I'm not. Right. Meditating. Meditating. Yeah, yeah. Helps with creativity. I'm sure of that. What's the difference? Uh, when I'm not when meditating. When, well, when you have, yeah. Um, it, it's more of like because I do it every day now. It's sort of it's just part and parcel. But mm. I feel I'm less likely to. It just it, in terms of more general things, I'm less mm. likely to react to things like on a, right. on a subconscious level. Mm. without really thinking things through or let things affect me as much but in terms right. of my creativity um often some things ideas will come while i'm meditating mm. and actually from a much broader perspective i would say that pretty much everything that i do now comedically is inspired in some way by a buddhist philosophy mm. so that was it from a from a grander scale um but in terms of how i structure my day does it make I, you more productive <laughs> I would like to think so. I, I guess it has because opportunities mm. have happened since I've got more into it. Yeah. But in, in terms of the structure, that's, uh, I'm big on like morning routines. Mm. Um, and then I will try now to do the creative stuff in the morning and mm. then practical stuff, answering emails in the afternoon. But that really? doesn't always work. It doesn't yeah. work. And, but I, it's mm. this, the, the phone, man, the phone's a fucker. It's like I've just got. I've, I've really been toying recently. Just delete all the socials. I don't yeah. have a big social following, so what am I doing? Yeah. It's for me. A lot of, sometimes it's my own entertainment, the ADHD yeah. stuff. Like, let's just do something, a funny little story. Yeah. I don't even do sketches on there anymore or anything. Yeah. I do nothing. Why not? Mm, uh, I've taken a step back from stand up mm. just to actually focus on doing the more the writing stuff and mm. you know that and directing. And um, I don't know. Like I don't like how it makes me feel. Yeah. I don't like the feeling of putting something out there yeah. and the anxiety that oh, comes with worst. it not getting yeah, likes. And I was like, then I'm a, horrible. I'm a prisoner to the algorithm. Horrible. Yeah. I was like talking to, do you know Joe Jacobs? No. He's a stand-up and he was on here, um, I was on the podcast recently and he was, yeah, he his term was slave to the algorithm. Yeah. Yeah, we really are. It's, um, God, I mean, TikTok is the best example of it. It's like people going onto an app developed by an awful sort of regime <laughs> that's banging up Uyghur Muslims and horrible surveillance state in China. And they've programmed it so everyone that's on there does the same thing. So there's a, mu a song and you have to do a dance to the song that they teach you how to do. Yeah. And everyone's like robots. They're going on this app and they're doing it. And then like five million people are liking it. It's crazy, isn't it? What are we doing? It's mad. And, if, and then... And then when you when you write something that you're proud of and you put it on social media and then you know you get <laughs> like a few hundred likes when fucking dance raid you know routine on TikTok's got four million likes makes you feel so shit about your creative process. You're like, why am I bothering? Why am I bothering? What is the point? Yeah, and everyone's an idiot. 
the whole world is full of idiots that don't appreciate <laughs> don't my, understand my me. genius. Yeah. yeah. But your stuff always does well. <laughs> no, man, I get into loads of shit. It does really fucking badly. When you, when you say badly, are you uh, calculating that on lack of likes and comments? Yeah, just like lack of views, lack of likes. I put loads of shit out. It just does really badly. But you just got to keep doing it, right? You got like, That's the thing, you can't you let got, it affect you. You can't guy I know called uh, Sean Burke, really funny character comedian. Mm. Um, I was talking to him about this and he was saying um, he was really depressed last year because he questioned everything mm. that he made and he would yeah. just not put it out. And then he just thought, fuck it. And he's just been mm. solidly putting out like two, three sketches a week, wow. character stuff for the last... Yeah. But, you know, that's a certain type of gone well? person. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. on like 50,000 followers mm. on Twitter or something. And so just well doing it. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's working for him. But you've got to be that way inclined. Yeah. And be all right with being that it's hard ingrained in your, in your social media yeah if you're a sensitive flower we are difficult yeah. yeah 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 but you know, we're fine we can we get right. married we'll so right. we have yeah. our kids yeah. move to suburbs yeah be fine yeah. sell the scripts but i do think there's something in hardening up like that i mean i know it's a sort of age-old sort of creative um it's an age-old strategy that people who are in in the creative fields have used to protect themselves because you're putting so much of yourself out there yeah you know that you you know i I have friends that will write something or you know music or something else and then they'll spend ages on it they'll write a whole album let's say and then they will just keep it in a drawer on the computer oh wow and they won't put it out because it's like the fear of releasing that thing yeah for everyone to judge it it's just terrifying and it's so much worse than... But then that's how, the only way you do it. It's like Woody Allen has made a film every year for the last 20 years. And how Did you Woody read his uh, biography? No. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I read it there. But anyway, yeah. It was good. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, there's all, all that shit around him right now, but yeah. he's an incredible filmmaker, irrespective. And But 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 is he? Because that's the thing. Is It's like he's, he's written and made some of the best films I think that have ever been made. Mm-hmm. But... I know five. I can name five or six of them. You don't. Know. How many has he made? Hundreds. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, you take, yeah. You take that sort of rate ratio onto your Instagram posts, and you've got to assume that half of your Instagram posts are going to do pretty badly. But also, like, I I, I exaggerate um, how much, or in my head, how much people care. People don't give a shit. No. It's literally it's one second of their life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They look at it. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. Even they make a judgment. They yeah, don't like it. That's move on to right, next yeah. thing. Totally. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay, so um, and then one one other thing I wanted to ask you um, that you've you've got into stand up recently. That's that's a relatively new thing, isn't it? Well, actually, I haven't done. I did some last year. Okay, and then I haven't done any since. Okay, why did you start and why did you stop? I started because I'd never really done stand up, and I'd always done. Luckily, I was able to like just drift into TV shows, which is kind of insane because a lot of people have to spend years doing stand-up which is brutal before they get a tv show yeah but i wanted to prove to myself that i could do stand-up okay. because i'd never done it so i learned how to do stand-up and worked out how to do it and wrote it and i think when you say you learned how, how did just you learn died on stage a bunch okay and worked right, out yeah. how to you do did, it. so you did like open mic yeah did open right. mic nights yeah uh, okay. did some went well some were fucking awful yeah oh but i don't i think doing i don't know about you or you said you're not doing it anymore but i, I think doing it has made me realise how little I want to do it. Right. Because yeah. even some of my, like, you know, even some of my friends who are really successful relatively in the comedy scene and, like, yeah. have spent years doing it and have got great followings on social media and do sold-out gigs. It's not a life, man. 
do you really want to be that's going? Right. That's that's what I, was a big part of my thinking. Unless you love it, yeah. unless you love it, getting up on stage, which I don't because mm. I find it scary and I have to okay. overcome it to get up on stage and right. like spend, you know, unless you love it, do you really want to be going to Hall on a Friday night when you're 45 to do a show to 200 people and then get the train home yeah. on your own? Do you want to do that? I mean, you don't want to be going to Hull at 25, let alone 45. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Sorry to anyone in Hull, but it's true. <laughs> you don't want to go there. Yeah. Yeah, I had a friend, old friend, yeah. mutual friend, who's where he went to university. Yeah, went to university in Hull, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I went up there once. Yeah. Did magic mushrooms. In Hull. And drove back. Fucking nightmare. drove back in the middle of the night. Yeah. On my way. On All the way from Hull. Mental. It How was, long did that take? I don't remember. I was on mushrooms. <laughs> 20 minutes. Felt like an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a four hour drive isn't it mental I mean the sort of stuff the sort of stuff you're doing in your youth <laughs> yeah yeah um, okay so I right. remember being on mushrooms yeah. and driving a motorbike and I couldn't work out whether I was going really 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 fast or like two miles an hour and I think what was happening is I was going like two miles an hour but in my head I was like taking course like this is crazy. Yeah. But actually, in reality, it was like... Tick, 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 tick. We, yeah. when I, my, my experience was, I was looking in my Wimmerin and I kept on seeing this car in the, yeah. in the distance and uh, in the horizon. And uh, I thought it was a police car, but they weren't mm. coming near me. Right. They were just sort of staying far enough to sort of yeah. follow me. Yeah. And so I drove on the motorway 30 miles an hour. Right. Because I was trying to pull me over. Yeah. 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 Um, that's a nice paranoia mushroom trip. Yeah. yeah why sure. didn't you just stay in a hole for a night? Why didn't why I? Did you not, why did you That's how bad hole is. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Leave. Say no more. How'd you get out of there? Yeah. Um, all right. So we, uh, outside of career yeah. stuff what do you do to unwind and, and relax and take your mind off career um, can you take your mind off this alcohol sex and drugs mostly okay. yeah yeah. yeah. But they, but they are the three founding principles of Buddhism it's true yeah, so. are they yeah. <laughs> why haven't I been into this before no I'm actually I really want to go I want to, if the, that Buddhist sentence is open I'd love to go with you if you have a, 100% you should go. come you should come yeah I've just that. started um, on, I'm on the team on Friday nights now Mm. it is such a nice way to yeah. start the weekend well I mean because it is in answer to your question like I would love to be able to be doing more of that stuff I tend to you know no I mean I read a lot my, my meditations I read a lot and that is yeah. for me meditation because it's just like clear my brain and that's great yeah. or you know I um, I play football I uh, but yeah it's it's hard when you're uh, if you're doing especially the high sort of high intensity stuff the high adrenaline stuff like stand up yeah it's hard not to um, go out and pursue high adrenaline high intensity relaxation uh, yeah hobbies because you that's what you're used to right I don't know what what form would that take for you then you know like I don't know did you never find that sort of going out and like you know if you do some if you go out and you shoot a bunch of sketches then you go and have some beers to relax rather than like going and relaxing you're not actually relaxing yeah. When you go and have some beers. You are, you are for like an hour and then you're not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whatever form that would take, that need for um, for adrenaline. Yeah. That's what a therapist said to me recently. I'm addicted to adrenaline. Yeah, that's been my problem for years. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. And it's hard to come off that. Yeah. It's hard to come off that. And I guess going back to what you were saying earlier, that's what meditation has definitely helped. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. I'm not good at it. I think you're probably much better at it given that you've... Uh, you know, do your meditation, which I don't do, but I've 
notice the times that I've done a bit more of that, you know, I've uh, been much more productive. Yeah, right. And um, talking about books, are there any books over the years that stand out to you that have had a, had a big impact to you, impact on you in any way? I've just read a book, or well, I'm halfway through a book that is just, it's killing me. It's amazing. Really? Yeah. It's the most, it's the best book I've read in, in, in ages. Okay. It's really uh, inspired me. It's called Anti-Fragile. Okay. It's by a guy called Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Remember that um, book, Black Swan? Yeah. This guy wrote a book called Black Swan in like 2003 where he predicted the financial crash. Okay. Right? And he became this huge sort of economics megastar. And like, he was an academic, but like, I think okay. he used to be a trader and banks would bring him in to like predict when the next crash would be. Yeah. And um, he's just written a new book called Anti-Fragile, which he says is the main, his main thesis because Black Swan was, was, everything was leading up to this. Right. And it's like an economics book, but it's like a self-help book. Okay. It's not supposed to be, but it's teaching me all sorts of stuff about my life. Oh, right. Okay. And it's like profound and it's amazing. And it's about, it's, is it, should I talk about it? Is that interesting? Of course. It's yeah, called, yeah. it's called, and so he says that um, there are, there is a, a concept, there is a, a phenomenon that exists in every major system on the planet, right? Whether it's biological systems, physical systems whether it's economic systems and it's the notion is what he describes as anti-fragile anti-fragility right Mm -hmm. but there's no word for it he's had to put anti and fragile together there's no word for it in any known language right dead or alive right and what it is is it's the opposite of fragile but it's not robust right okay so he gives you this he gives you this thought experiment he says let's say you had a box full of 27 uh, champagne flutes that you wanted to send to outer mongolia right yeah and you put fragile on it right what would be the opposite? If you were putting something that was the opposite of fragile, what would you stick on that? What would you stick on that package? No need to treat with TLC. <laughs> or, or no, <laughs> drop. Please drop as much as possible. Okay, yeah, kick yeah, this yeah. box. Right, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Like yeah, rough it up a bit. Rough this box up yeah, as much okay. as much, not a bit, as much as you can. Okay, and that gives you a bit more sturdiness. Well, not it doesn't give the box sturdiness, but as no, metaphorically it gives, speaking, it gives the box sturdiness. So this right, is okay. Literally, if you think of um, think of your your immune system, right? Mm. When you get a vaccine, you're yeah. giving you're stressing your your immune system a little bit by giving it a little bit of the virus mm-hmm. as a way to overcome viruses, the, the you know the more harmful strain of the virus. If you're uh, you know if you're a kid and you, you're sheltered in your home your entire life and you never go out and get any life experience, you're not robust. You can't like learn how to overcome challenges. If you're a uh, you know evolution is an anti fragile system because mm-hmm. the more you stress. Uh, species the better species become at overcoming those stresses right right so it's the notion of like how stresses lots of small stresses make you better at things okay and that's how you prevent black swan events black swan events is when you you uh, shelter yourself from small stresses all the time and then a massive one comes along that you can't handle you're not prepared for so you have to and that's the thing about posting stuff on instagram and failing it's like you have to fail and that's the google wasn't that the the google mantra fail fast fail often right you've got to fail all the time because it's a way of getting information yeah if you're not failing you're not getting any information about what doesn't work yeah so you have to constantly be failing as a way to be be not just robust, because robust is just like a house that survives after a hurricane. Yeah. Anti-fragile is a house that's better when the hurricane's gone. Got you. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And, and that is so applicable to kind of working in a creative yeah. 
job or trying to start really? out on a creative yeah. Um, career yeah you've just got to keep putting stuff out there yeah. and, and not be worried about you've got to enjoy rejection. enjoy the video that you put up doesn't get many hits because you're like right that's information for me yeah i can now be better as a result of that i just um, finished a, a really interesting book by elizabeth gilbert the author of eat pray love oh yeah right and it's about her creativity process and she yeah. is like I was like, wow, if I had read this at the start, yeah. I think things would be a lot easier. A lot of the time she talks about having these ideas and that they're going to be with you for a certain period of time. Mm. But if you don't make it or if nothing happens with it, then the idea is not meant for you. It's meant for somebody else. Yeah. And and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. There um, go. And also to be very grateful for all those opportunities where yeah. you do fail. Yeah. Like that's, that's an opportunity to be grateful. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And not just grateful, but like, it's like it's it's information that's what i found mind blowing yeah, because yeah, it's okay. like what he describes is how you, if you're a bodybuilder and you start using heavier and heavier weights yeah not only do your muscles get stronger your bones get denser right so the inf- so the extra weight that you're piling on your body is information for your bone your body is using that as information it's saying i need to get my bones denser because there's a lot more weight on on me every day now. Yeah, this guy's lifting heavier and heavier. This woman's lifting heavier and heavier, heavier weights. So I, but the, your bones get denser. How insane is that? Yeah, and that I think you can take that analogy and put it into comedy and creativity. If I'm not, if people aren't not, you know, if I'm not dying on stage at a comedy night, like if you do it all the time, get out of comedy. <laughs> but if you've had some good nights, yeah, or you've had some good videos, and then you had like three shitty videos, yeah. That's just information that like you're going to get better as a result of that. I just love it as a concept. Yeah, it's great. it makes me feel better about my failures. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, it's, I think it's a super important lesson to, to learn and yeah. take on. Um, okay, final question I'm going to ask you. Uh, I'll ask all the guests to come on the podcast. What does the idea of balance mean to you or not? God, yeah, I don't know. I'm really bad at balance. So just means being happy, isn't it? maintaining an even level of happiness spreading it nice not putting like butter on a piece of toast like if you get like if you put all the butter on the like, nice like chunk of butter on the first bit of the toast you don't have any left for the end I hate when that and then you've got to eat dry toast yeah yeah it's like that great great what does it mean to you uh, I've all I've been like trying to strive I think for many years I was too my whole identity was wrapped up with my career and mm. having success. And if I once, as soon as I get to that place where I have success, mm. then I'll be happy. Yeah. So you're never, that way you're never really living your yeah. life. Whereas now I do put a lot more emphasis on experiences yeah. and, uh, you know, doing things outside of my career. Yeah. So that, that would be a balance. Do you, not, of, do you find your career more creative as a result of that? Uh, when I when I'm able to remember it, yeah. I'm not always able to remember that. Yeah. You know, and when I'm in the hole, yeah, you know, this is it's it's a really easy trap to fall into. So I just need to get yeah. this thing completely. That's exactly what I'm saying about the reading thing earlier. You can't you can't write about stuff if you don't live the stuff. You can't go and like spend your whole day sitting on your computer writing something and not go out and have a relationship because what are you going to write about? What are you going to write about? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. And uh, this the past year or just but and before covid particularly i really made an effort to do mm. to go on adventures random adventures yeah. and 
Yeah. Well, yeah, like you said, experiences happen and that informs creativity. Yeah. Um, Where can... Go on. No, go on. I was going to say I was going to say where can people find out find out but you're talking about social we're talking about social media social but where where can people keep in touch with what you're up oh, to work wise just uh, Hayden Prowse H U I D O N P R O W S E on Twitter and Instagram I guess okay all right great man thank you yeah. so much for for doing this nice one. coming on yeah thanks, wicked man. wicked cheers dude cool thanks for having me perfect And there we have it, Hayden Prowse in the building. And this one was literally in the building. He braved it and came over and we did a face-to-face. We were in touching distance of each other and we have both lived to tell the tale. So it's worked out well. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As I said at the beginning, it's packed with nuggets of gold. I hope it was useful and uh, somewhat insightful. So that's it from me. Until next time, see you later. Balancing Acts is made in association with the comedy crowd who support independent comedy creators. They showcase the best new videos on ComedyCrowdTV.com and across media platforms. They support independent comedy creators and showcase the best new videos, including adult animation, sketch shows, web series, viral hits, and lots more. So if you're a creator, then do check them out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.